people, what's up? Thank you for checking us out, Real Not Rude. Don't forget that you can find us on Facebook and Twitter under Real Not Rude and on Instagram under Keep It Real Not Rude. Also, we are on all the platforms. Our podcast is on Amazon as well as Audibles. We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, and of course, Spotify Podcasts. Please, you guys, follow us on social media, like, share, engage, you know, follow us, please, so that our audience can grow and pass the word. In addition, we also still do our shows where we have the discussions on relationships, friendships, situationships, whatever. And if you would like to be a part of that, definitely shoot us an email. All you need to join is your email address and your name and only your first name or even a nickname. Drop us a discussion that you would like to go over and we will definitely get back to you and let you know if it's something we can include. That's at keepitrealnotrude at gmail.com. Once again, you guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Be safe and check us out. I am back, back with another When Friends Go Wrong. Today's story is different than anyone that I've done thus far, and it's because of the longevity of this crime. This crime took place over three years, and also the amount of victims. Although there is one victim who had permanent damage, and her name is Carrie Farber, uh, There's also other victims that had ongoing damage um, that would last them their lifetime. So let me try to break them down. And then as the story goes on, it will, you know, all add up. So Carrie Farber was the worst case scenario in terms of victims. Dave Krupa was a victim with the most turmoil in terms of constant instigation. Now, Nancy Rainey and Max Farber also had years of turmoil and indefinite turmoil in terms of being victims as well. And then Amy Flora was also victimized, but I would say she was the least of them all. So Carrie Farber, just so we can make the connections early on, and we'll reconnect once we get into the story. Max Farber is her son. Nancy Rainey is her mother. So let's start off with Dave. Dave moved to Omaha in 2012. He took a job managing an auto repair shop. Now at that time, he was separated from his long-term girlfriend, Amy Flora, and they had two children together. It was his first time since separating from her being on his own in a while. So he said that he wanted to date, but he didn't know how to venture back into the dating pool. And, you know, he felt rusty because he'd been in a relationship for so long. So he did what a lot of people do, which is turn to internet dating. He signed up for a couple of dating sites. And one of the first people that he met, one of them, was a woman named Shauna Elizabeth Goya. 
and she went by Liz. So throughout the story, we will reference her as Liz or Elizabeth. But pay attention to her name. So he thought that Liz was very pretty. He was attracted to her right away. And so they set up a date. So she told him that she was single and she was a mother as well with two kids and their children were around the same ages. Now, by the fourth date, Dave said the relationship escalated and they started becoming intimate. But he said he was upfront with Elizabeth and told her he wanted to continue seeing other women. About six months after meeting Elizabeth, while at work, an extremely attractive woman walked into the auto shop. Her name was Carrie Favor or Farber. I'm not sure which is the correct way to say her last name. She was a single mom who had brought in her Ford Explorer for maintenance. When they looked at each other, there was a spark. And that's how Dave explained it. She's showing him something inside the vehicle and they're standing there and they're very close and there was some tension, but good tension, you know, attraction. According to Carrie's family and friends, she was very vivacious and warm to almost everyone. Her friend, Amy Long said, you noticed Carrie when she walked into a room, she had a laugh, she had a smile, she lit up a room. You couldn't help but notice her. You were drawn to her. So Dave asked Carrie out for a date. And on their first date, they hit it off immediately. So he invited her back to his apartment after dinner. Now, as things started heating up, Dave said that Carrie told him she didn't want anything serious. And so he felt like he hit the jackpot because he didn't want to stick to one woman at that time either. He wanted to date, just like he told Elizabeth. As she was leaving his apartment at the end of their date, Carrie walked right by Elizabeth in the hallway. Elizabeth had come by unannounced to pick up some things that she told David she left there. Now, it was a brief encounter, maybe 10 seconds or less, but this encounter would go on to have lasting ramifications for all three of them. So Dave was quickly taken with Carrie that to the degree when she was tasked with a big project at work, he offered to let her stay with him. She worked as a computer um, programmer and her office was located around the corner from where he lived. But her home was, was almost like an hour away from where she worked. So it was favorable for her to stay with him while she worked on this big project because it was close by her job. So on the morning of November 13, 2012, he got ready for work. He kissed Carrie on the way out and told her he would see her later that evening. Now, around mid-morning, he got a strange text from her saying she wanted to move in together, which was left filled because they had already talked about that not happening. And remember, she said... She didn't want anything serious. So he texted her back and said he wasn't interested. And she responded immediately saying, fine, I hate you. I'm dating someone else and I don't want to see you anymore. Go away. Lots of profanity. And so he did not know what to think. He was blown away. So when he returned home that night, she was gone. 
So now two days have passed before he said his phone started blowing up again with texts. And in these texts, Carrie says, I hate you. You've ruined my life. You're a terrible person. So he was thinking, I'm glad she left. I dodged a bullet. I don't need this type of drama. But Carrie's mother, Nancy Rainey, says that her daughter was diagnosed with depression in her late 20s, a few years after having her son, Max, and that she was eventually diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She'd been seeing therapists and was on medication. There was a couple of times when she would stop taking the medication because she told her mom, I feel like I'm numb. But by the time Carrie was dating Dave in 2012, Nancy said her daughter was in a good place, working at her dream job in Omaha, and Max was a thriving high school student. So around the time Dave was receiving these intense text messages, Nancy said she too started receiving strange texts. One message she got said that Carrie had taken a new job in Kansas, which Nancy said totally threw her off. She tried to get Carrie on the phone, but she said her daughter wouldn't call, which she thought was unusual. So as time went on, Carrie didn't show up for her half-brother's wedding. So she reported her missing. She told the police her daughter was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and that she was on medication. So because she said that, the police jumped on that part of it and said, well, this kind of thing happens all the time. When someone who's bipolar stops taking their meds sometimes, they can start some really erratic behavior. So Nancy said because of that, she couldn't get the police to take her pleas serious. So looking into that, later on, ABC News reached out to the county, and I don't know if I'm gonna slaughter this name, Potawatomi County, Sheriff's Office for a comment on the initial stages of the investigation. The department said they take all missing persons reports seriously, no matter the circumstances surrounding them. The evidence during the initial investigation was inconclusive, but we did not give up. So remember that statement because it is relevant going forward. So Dave said he continued to receive hundreds of harassing text messages and emails from Carrie. He watched his cell phone blow up with dozens of text messages from his stalker, Carrie. One of them said, my favorite thing to do is stand outside and stare at you. Now Dave, who was 36, was used to it by now. He would go on to receive tens of thousands of texts and emails like this over a three-year period. The messages are rife with jealousy and rage at first, and then over time, the tone changed from spiteful to threatening. I hate you so much that I want to drive a knife in your heart. I will destroy your life and take your happiness. Dave said that he couldn't remember how many times he changed his phone number, but still, the messages kept coming. So he's like, what do you do when somebody invades every space of your life? All of these messages were coming from Carrie, a woman he dated only for two weeks in Omaha, Nebraska, but no one had seen her physically for a long time. One of the messages says, I'll, I will do what I can to make you suffer. We belong together, Dave. 
which shows you that is bipolar behavior because in one instance you hate him and the next instance you want to be with him. So he said most of the messages that he was receiving focused on Elizabeth, the woman Dave had previously dated and who crossed paths with Carrie in his apartment building in the hallway. Elizabeth told him she was receiving harassing texts and emails too. And then one day, Elizabeth called him saying her garage had been vandalized. When she pulled into her garage, she found someone had written whore from Dave on the inside of her garage and spray paint. So she reported to the Omaha police in late November 2012. So as the weeks went by, Carrie continued to miss more events. Her own birthday, her son's 15th birthday, Thanksgiving, and then her father's funeral. Now, when she missed her father's funeral, Nancy, her mother, was convinced something was wrong. She said she was still getting all these texts from Carrie and begged her to call her so she could hear her voice, but she never did. Also, Max, her son, was getting messages from her saying she was going to Kansas and coming to get him, but she never showed up. Nancy said the text became mean and angry, telling Nancy that I wasn't a good mother and that I wasn't and I was controlling. She noticed that oftentimes the text would be full of grammatical and punctuation errors, as well as spelling mistakes, which she said was out of character for her daughter, who was a stickler for punctuation and spelling. For Dave, the harassment wasn't just over text and email, he was also being stalked. On one specific occasion, he was sitting in his lazy boy with his feet up, watching TV, trying to relax. It's nighttime and he gets a text saying, I see you, you're sitting in your chair with your feet propped up wearing a blue shirt. And that's exactly what he was doing and exactly what he was wearing. So he knew he was being watched. Then one night in January 2013, two months after the harassment began, Dave was returning home from work when he noticed a familiar vehicle in a nearby parking lot. As he got closer, he realized it was Carrie's Ford Explorer. So he worked on it before, so he knew it very well. So he took a photo of the license plate and sent it to the Omaha police. Now the police searched the car and they were able to find only a single fingerprint on a mint container, but it didn't match. So meanwhile, weeks turned into months and Nancy said she still hadn't found her daughter. However, hope arrived five months after Carrie disappeared when Nancy said a man called her to tell her he'd seen Carrie at a homeless shelter and she wanted Nancy to come and pick her up. So of course she was shaking with excitement. She thought, oh my God, we're gonna bring her home. She's going to be okay. She raced over to the shelter and the investigators met her there. But when they arrived, they learned that Carrie had never been there. So once again, a complete let, let down and devastation all over again. You know, she said in her own words, I get this raising in my hopes and then it's dashed again. I knew somebody was playing games here. 
So six months into Carrie's disappearance, Max, Carrie's son, decided to message his mother's Facebook account to see what would happen. She messaged, she messaged him back. Hey, little man, how are you? So he asked her to answer three questions to prove that it was really her. One, what is his middle name? Two, what was the name of their first dog? And three, what was his best friend's name? And she never responded to that message. Now, during this time, Dave and Elizabeth, they were still seeing each other off and on. And they both were still receiving hostile, nasty text messages. It was like common for them to be together, hanging out on the couch, watching TV or something, and both of their phones would start blowing up with text messages and emails from Carrie. At one point, Dave said he got an email from Carrie threatening to kill Elizabeth and that it included a photo of a woman tied up in the trunk of a car. So he was scared for Elizabeth, so he called her and she confirmed she was fine. And then later, Dave said that Carrie sent him a link to a fake obituary for Elizabeth. Then in August 2013, Elizabeth's house caught on fire, killing her family pets, including two dogs, a cat and a snake. And the fire investigators believed it was definitely arson. Elizabeth told the police that she suspected that Carrie was the culprit, which makes sense because they're being stalked by Carrie. So Dave said he had become so paranoid that at this point he bought a gun, a nine millimeter Smith and Weston pistol. Now, terrifying intrusions continued happening to him. At one point, when he was at the auto shop, it was vandalized. Then in 2014, he was with his high school friend, Heather, in his apartment when Heather said she watched his cell phone blow up with messages and then later heard someone jiggling the front door handle. When they were in bed that night, Heather said a brick was thrown through the window. So Dave's ex-girlfriend and mother of his children, Amy Flora, had also been receiving threatening messages from Carrie. This girl is just threatening everybody all over the place. Her own mama. I mean, come on. It wasn't just Dave and Elizabeth. It was anyone in Dave's life that Carrie was out to get. So at this point, a new team picks up the case by spring of 2015. It had been two and a half years since anyone had seen Carrie, but this harassment continued. Now, this is around the point, years after this harassment, that detectives started to uncover that this vindictive lover would go to extremes and deadly limps to destroy her perceived rival. So the detectives now in Padawanami, and I don't know if I said that right, you guys, County Sheriff's Office had never worked on the case, but they had heard about it before. And they were so intrigued by Carrie's mysterious disappearance 
that they volunteered to take it on. The two detectives decided to approach the case from different angles. So one of them was going to work it like Carrie was dead. And the other one was going to work it like she was alive and prove each side. So they started from the beginning, digging through the original case file. Now, the detectives were aware of Carrie's bipolar diagnosis, but they didn't think that that had anything to do with her disappearance. They thought it was alarming that there hadn't been any activity in her checking account the entire time she had been gone, which makes a lot of sense because she's now gone over two and a half years and you haven't used any money. So they said it's not normal for adults to just up and leave and literally spend no money. No one's seen them at all and no one's heard their voice. It just doesn't make any sense. She had good income, a good house. So because of that, they came to the conclusion that they could not prove she was actually alive. So one of the detectives said that one glaring detail that stuck out for him was Elizabeth who he said had never been involved in Carrie's life until she went missing. Now, all of a sudden, she's this focus of harassment. Her name was all over all the reports. So because of that, something stood out to them about Elizabeth. She was definitely a person of interest. The only forms of communication anyone received from Carrie were electronic. So the detectives asked their colleague, a digital, a digital forensic administrator at the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office for help. Now both Dave and Elizabeth agreed to have the content of their phones downloaded in 2013 for the initial group of investigators. So this was prior to the Potawatomi investigators. This was Omaha, Nebraska. The content was included in the original case file, and they started with that connecting the dots. They knew the messages didn't seem to really be coming from Carrie. So Carrie, or the imposter who was pretending to be Carrie, sent Dave about 15,000 email messages over a three-year span. It may have even been upwards of 25,000 or 50,000 texts and all. So whoever was pretending to be Carrie got more and more sophisticated in what they were doing to try and hide their IP address so that they can hide their real identity. So the investigators found a photo of Carrie's Ford Explorer in Elizabeth's phone dump which included metadata that showed the photo had been taken about a month before police recovered Carrie's vehicle. So somehow Elizabeth knew where Carrie's vehicle was before law enforcement did. Another thing they found in the download was there were six calls that were made to Carrie's residence. And it was using star 67, which you know is to block your number. So to disguise her number, Elizabeth called Carrie six 
times. Now, that didn't make any sense to them because she had only met Carrie one time passing through the hallway. The investigators also found the photo of a woman who had been tied up, which was the one that had been emailed to Dave, and they determined it had been taken by Elizabeth's phone. They also discovered a video recording that showed someone walking outside of Dave's apartment. It had been uploaded to YouTube under Carrie's name, but it was tied to an IP address registered to Elizabeth's home. In May of 2015, the investigators went to interview Nancy Rainey, Carrie's mom, during which they said, they believed her claims that her daughter was missing and that something happened to her. Whoever was pretending to be Carrie got more and more sophisticated in what they were doing, trying to hide their identity, using different IP addresses. Everything that they were doing, they knew that something was suspicious and something happened to Nancy Rainey's daughter. So when they went and interviewed Nancy and they told her about them believing her claims about her daughter missing and that something happened to her, they said, I just want you to know, I don't think she left on her own free will. And that was the first time anybody of authority told her that they actually believed her. And she finally, for once, honestly felt like something was going to happen. Now, during their meeting, Nancy provided the investigators with another clue. She told them that after Carrie disappeared in 2012, she received a text saying Carrie had sold all her furniture. And she asked Nancy to let the buyer into the house to pick it all up. Now, as a supposed proof of sale, Nancy received a photo of a check for that furniture that was made out to Carrie and signed by Shana Goya. Remember that name? So they knew, the detectives, that Elizabeth Goya's real name was Shana. So now was another connection between the two women who were supposedly strangers. Now, that didn't give them all of the answers on what happened to Carrie, but they knew that Liz, Elizabeth knew more than what she was telling them. They also matched that one fingerprint that they found in Carrie's car to Elizabeth. Now, as the investigation was underway, Dave realized the pistol he had purchased for protection was missing, so he reported it stolen to police. So the detectives decided to devise a plan to ask Elizabeth for help. So on December 4th of 2015, they were at the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office with Elizabeth. When she walked in, they were stunned to see her. They learned she was there to file a harassment complaint against Dave's ex-girlfriend, the mother of his children, Amy Flora. 
Now, after Elizabeth left, the detective drove over to her home to interview her, pretending it was about her complaint. Now, she told the detective that she thought now it was Flora, Amy Flora, who had been sending her threatening messages this whole time, not Carrie. So the investigator asked if he could download the contents of her phone so they could review the messages. Elizabeth signed the consent form and turned it over. The detective couldn't believe that she actually agreed to it. And that's probably because he already had previous evidence from the first time they had her and Dave's phone. And so now all that incriminating evidence, which they had not disclosed to her yet, now you're passing your phone over again, but she did. So now getting access to the information on Elizabeth's phone was one of the most important moments in the investigation. During their conversation, the investigator said Elizabeth mentioned she knew that Dave's gun, which she correctly identified in the conversation as a 9mm Smith & Wesson, was missing. And she thought that Amy Flora had stolen it. Now, she realized that she probably shouldn't know any details about the gun. So after that, any further questions that the detective asked, she was very vague. So she called on that she was talking too much. But in a bizarre twist, Elizabeth called 911 the next day, claiming she'd been shot in the leg while walking alone at night in Big Lake Park. Now, investigators said Elizabeth at first claimed she didn't know who the culprit was. And then later she said she thought it was Amy Flora. Of course, they found it highly suspicious that the day before she felt the need to tell them that Dave's gun had been stolen, less than 24 hours later, she is shot. It was pretty quickly determined that most likely Elizabeth shot herself. So police said that Amy Flora was cleared that same evening. But in the meantime, the detective got to work sifting through the contents of Elizabeth's cell phone after the second download. He discovered Elizabeth had registered upwards of 20 or 30 fake email addresses, all of which had some variation of Carrie's name. He also discovered that Elizabeth was using an app which allowed her to schedule future messages. So this explains how she could be with Dave and both of their phones would get bombarded with messages at the same time. She was able to send messages pretending to be Carrie and they would arrive while she was sitting on the couch next to Dave. How vindictive. So from Dave's point of view, Elizabeth couldn't have sent it because she was sitting next to him the whole time. This man is sleeping with the enemy and didn't even know it. The investigator estimated that Elizabeth must have spent about 40 to 50 hours a week impersonating Carrie. She had a full-time job. Well, that's what they say in the next sentence. This seemed to be a full-time occupation for her, trying to stalk people and send them messages. What a nutcase. So the investigators brought Elizabeth in for an interview two weeks after she got shot. Now, at this time, they said Elizabeth kept pushing them to investigate Amy Flora, and she had no idea she herself was their main suspect. 
in Carrie's disappearance. So they came up with a plan. They were going to tell Elizabeth they believed her story that Amy had shot her and that they wanted Elizabeth to help to get Amy to incriminate herself. So they asked Elizabeth to reach out to Amy, Amy Flora and see if she could tell her anything about what happened to Carrie. Now, of course, the investigators knew that Amy had nothing to do with Carrie's disappearance or the threatening messages that had been sent for years. But their plan worked. See, Elizabeth, she thinks she's so intelligent, but she's her own worst enemy. So they said that Elizabeth almost immediately fabricated emails that she said were sent to her from Amy. She started receiving messages that she said was from Amy Flora, where Amy confesses to shooting at Big Lake Park, Park, shooting her at Big Lake Park. So the detectives continued to press Elizabeth to ask Amy, who they knew at this point was really Elizabeth, for details about Carrie's death. So a few days later, Elizabeth did that. Make-believe. Elizabeth has multiple personalities and friends. So she forwarded the detectives an email that supposedly came from Amy saying she had stabbed Carrie three to four times and stuffed her body into a garbage bag. So this fool is probably giving the true, true details of what she actually did. The detectives said the details were bone chilling because they were graphic. Now, as time went on, the investigators said Elizabeth grew increasingly upset that they hadn't arrested Amy. So they explained to her that they needed more information, information that only the killer would know. At this point, they're playing with her little sneaky butt, like, okay, you think you're so smart? Just tell us everything we need. So within hours, they said more confession emails from Amy appeared. The emails included that Carrie had been stabbed to death in her own car. Okay, so we already know the woman is crazy. She's doing this stalking for three years. And, you know, you got to give her some credit for all the time and effort she put into it and concocting things and having messages come to her at the same time as day to make it uh, seem like it's Carrie or someone else to throw them off. But now you're giving the information about the actual murder? So now you're just getting dumber and dumber. So these emails that she gave told them that Carrie's vehicle was a crime scene by saying that Carrie had been stabbed to death in her own car. So now they wanted to go back and take a look at that vehicle to determine if that crime happened there. So this is the third time they searched Carrie's car, but this time they pulled the fabric off the passenger seat. And once they uncovered it, they found a red stain that was determined to be Carrie's blood. Now, Elizabeth is arrested for murder of Carrie because the murder most likely took place in Omaha, Nebraska. The police had to be involved. And so the cold case homicide detective had to join the investigation from Omaha, Nebraska. So that detective brought Elizabeth in for questioning and confronted her with evidence. 
And this was the evidence that the other two investigators had found on her. All this evidence gathered together so far were the photos on her phone, the IP addresses traced back to her home, the confession emails from Amy. But Elizabeth denied knowing anything and claimed she didn't even have internet service. But while she was being interrogated, they had gotten a search warrant for her apartment. And inside, they found some of Carrie's possessions, including a digital camera, a camcorder, which they think that Elizabeth stole from Carrie's home. And on the camcorder, they found a video of Carrie talking about how someone had vandalized her car. It was time stamped two days before she disappeared. Boy, oh boy. So good news is Carrie actually left behind some of her own evidence. So on December 22nd of 2016, Elizabeth was arrested and charged with first degree murder. So the county attorney who prosecuted the case said, this by far is the most difficult case I've ever tried. Most homicides are dark, but this one was bizarre to the point where it would take some convincing to make somebody believe that it actually happened. Because think about it, you guys, not only did she carry this on for three days, three years, you know, all of the mounds of things that she went through to keep this going and harassing people, multiple people. I mean, this was like a full-time job for her. Like she was writing a movie script. And in addition, she killed her own dogs. I mean, that's what the prosecutor is saying. There's no way that someone would let their dog die in a fire that they started. There's no way that someone would shoot themselves. I mean, <laughs> this woman was crazy. So her defense attorney said, that they wanted to request to waive a jury trial in favor of a bench trial, meaning a judge would decide the case. Not only was there no body, there was no crime scene, there was no murder weapon, there was no proof that she even died. So because of that, the prosecution agreed to waive the jury trial to move it up so they could try this case and hopefully find a body. So a few months before the trial was set to begin in 2017, Dave remembered he had a tablet in storage and he turned it over to the investigators. On the tablet, they discovered a micro SD memory card that also had been in Elizabeth's phone around the time of the murder. The SD card had thousands of deleted messages, all of which they were able to recover. They came to one photo that no one has seen before. And at first, they weren't sure what they were looking at, but it turned out to be a human foot with a tattoo. The tattoo was of a Chinese symbol for the word mother, the same one Carrie had on her foot. They said it was shocking. It made them realize Elizabeth killed Carrie and was taking photos of her body. At the trial, the prosecution painted Elizabeth as a diabolical and cruel woman who killed Carrie and then spent years violently harassing others. Elizabeth's defense attorney argued 
that all of the evidence was circumstantial. And that at one point, Elizabeth had been considered a victim in all of this. And that Carrie's body hadn't been found. In 2017, the judge found Elizabeth guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced her to life in prison. And during his ruling, he said, Carrie did not voluntarily disappear and drop off the face of the earth. Very sadly, she was murdered. So the Omaha police made a statement to ABC News. And they said the unusual nature of this case and the great lengths that Shauna Boiler went to to hide this homicide undoubtedly perplexed everyone involved. The successful investigation between the Omaha Police Department and a Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office resulted in the successful prosecution of Shauna Goyler and brought to light an extreme level of deception that law enforcement rarely encounters. Elizabeth remains at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women, and to this day, she maintains her innocence and claims that Carrie's real killer is still out there. And so while she was behind bars, she started writing letters to the author, Leslie Rule, and she said, I will not stop fighting until I'm set free and they find the right person. So Dave said that he hopes that Elizabeth goes away and never does anything to anybody else for the rest of her life. And she did. She, she'll be there for life. And Nancy and Max, Carrie's son, he said, were at the top of his mind because unfortunately, they are the ones who have to live with the repercussions forever. And then he also added that the investigators who solved this case were heroes. They meant the world to him and he couldn't thank them enough for everything they did. So those investigators established a scholarship fund in Carrie's name at the local community college, excuse me, community college to try to put a positive spin on her memory in attempts of associating something nice in connection with something so horrendous. And when Nancy was asked, you know, how she wanted her daughter to be remembered, she said as fun-loving, talented, and smart. Carrie was 37 when she died. And she said, if I could talk to her right now, I say, I love you. I'm so glad that you are in my life. You have a beautiful son who's got a wonderful life coming and I miss you terribly. What a story. I don't think I've ever heard a story where someone murdered someone and kept themselves in the spotlight years later. Like, when was it ever going to stop? And her ultimate goal was to win Dave and she got him. She got Dave. And she could have just stopped. Like she made it, she made herself be the main suspect. I mean, and just the cruel intent of contacting his son, her son and her mom and the his first baby's mother and and even him. Like he was in danger. Like this woman is sitting next to you having fake messages pop up. 
you have no idea what she could have done to you. And just to think that at one point when he was dating Carrie, he still thought that Elizabeth was his friend. And all this time, she's sitting up here plotting and killed this girl. And she's sick. Like, not only did she keep instigating it, she took pictures of her dead body. Like, and then when his friend Heather was at the house and she started stalking, throwing a brick through the window and jiggling the um, the doorknob, Heather was next. Heather was next. This was sick, crazy, and another story of when friends go wrong. Thanks for listening, you guys. Don't forget, Real Not Rude, Facebook and Twitter, Keep It Real Not Rude, Instagram, or email us at keepitrealnotrude at gmail.com. Be safe.